Hello, welcome to Infinite Cast, your weekly pod just. Yeah. I'm Chris Wade. I'm, I'm Molly O'Brien. <laughs> we never introduce ourselves on this show. <laughs> Who uh, are we? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Ciphers, really. Yes, we are no one and are nothing. Yeah. Is that, is that? merely vessels to, for, to allow the literature to throw, flow through us? Mr. Mr. Nobody? What? What was Mr. No, Mr. Robot, Mr. Robot, Mr. Robot. Well, okay, these are two very different things because Mr. Robot was a, uh, a, a cyber crime series on the USA Network, starring Rami Malek, starring Rami and another Malek. guy who is high profile, right? Yes. Oh God, who was that guy? It was like his his Renaissance, some sort of Kevin or 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 yes. similar. Uh, that show was pretty good. It had weird framings, and I enjoyed. Which that. now I think everyone, I actually think a lot of people copy. Uh, it's a way to make your show look kind of expensive is to just do a really weird angles yes. and be like, no, 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 it's like a thinking man show. Like we've yes. been, we've been really like thinking about all we, how all this looks. We put the the main subject of the scene in the bottom right hand corner of the shot. Yeah, you see up their entire nostrils. nostrils. But uh, that show has had no like no cultural penetration. I would say almost a, only aesthetic penetration, right? It was right? a big deal at the time. Like it, it was, it was like the year it came out, like every, uh, thinking connoisseurs, connoisseurs, Slater, uh, Christian Slater, Christian Slater. Yes. Uh, uh, like top show of the year. And then it went like three more seasons and then completely disappeared. And then Robbie Malik won a fucking Oscar, yeah. a, an Academy award. For one of the worst celebrity impressions of all time, we we make we were in this band because we're a bunch of misfits and we play for the misfits who don't fit in with anybody else. I'm Freddie Mercury, I'm you Freddie know. Mercury. Yeah. <laughs> Freddie Mercury. He did. I did think he did an an interesting like he kind of combined like an Indian accent with a British accent in a, a way that he has neither of those. Look, I don't think that movie is his fault. It's not his fault. He did. He was doing his best. Yes. It's not uh, his fault they edited it. And I so like crazily. Remy Malek. I do. I, I loved Mr. Robot. I thought that was a great show. And I, I like him a lot. I, I I wouldn't wish the movie Bohemian and Rhapsody on my worst enemies. <laughs> True. All right. <laughs> should we he get. Can, he can recover. But I just have to finish that. The, yes. That Mr. Nobody. Mr. Nobody. Is, of course, Kurt Russell's character in the Fast and Furious. Fast and Furious. So <laughs> I've been fast. The Fast and the Furious have been both. Uh, yes. clearly influencing me given the trailer of the new Fast and the Furious yes. X. Fast they, Furious. They X. should have spelled it F-X-S-T and F-X-R-I-O-U-X. Facts and Furious. Yeah, Facts and Furious. All right, do you want to start the reading? let's get into it. All right, we're still at Gately. Uh, the RN that had flushed his colon while Gately wept with shame. <laughs> Welcome to the show. A, you picked a good place to, to stop <laughs> last is, week. Is now back in the room with an MD Gately hasn't seen before. He lies there pinwheeled eyed from pain and efforts to abide via memory. One eye has some sort of blurry sleep goop film in it that won't blink or rub away. The room is filled with mournful gunmetal winter PM light. The MD and gorgeous RN are doing something to the room's other bed, attaching something metally complex from out of a big case, not unlike a good table silverware case, with molded purple velvet insides for metal rods and two half circles of steel. The intercom dings. The MD's got a beeper at his belt, an object with still more unhealthy associations. 
Gately hasn't exactly been asleep. The heat of his post-op fever makes his face feel tight, like standing too close to a fire. His right side settled down to a sick ache like a kicked groin. Fackelman's favorite phrase had been, that's a goddamn lie. He used it in response to just about everything. His mustache always looked like it was getting ready to crawl off his lip. Gately's always despised facial hair. The former, former naval MP had had a great big yellow-gray mustache he waxed into two sharp protruding steer horns. The MP was vain about his mustache and spent giant amounts of time clipping and grooming and waxing it. When... When the is is that uh that's just the remote okay fell into the bottom place Great. of the side table we can handle that when the MP passed out Gately used to come quietly up and gently push the stiffed wax sides of the mustache into crazy canted angles Sorkin's new third field opera- operative Seed claimed to collect ears and to have a collection of ears Bobby C with his lightless eyes and flat lipless head like a reptile. The MD was one of those apprentice residential MDs that looked about 12, scrubbed and groomed to a dull pink shine. He radiated the bustling cheer they teach MDs how to radiate at you. He had a child's haircut complete with spit curl, and his thin neck swam in the collar of his white MD coat, and his coat's pen's pocket protector, and the owlish glasses he kept pushing up, together with a little neck, gave Gately the sudden insight that most MDs and ADAs and PD slash POs and shrinks, the fearsomest authority figures in a drug addict's life, that these guys came from the pencil-necked ranks of the same weak-chinned weenie kids that drug addicts used to despise and revile and bully as kids. The did, R- did David Foster Wallace spend any significant t- amount of time in a hospital? Did he have any health, like significant health issues? Not that I'm aware of. but I, I mean, I... I guess the, all of this stuff, you know, it's kind of painted with a broad brush. This is basically how I would write about a hospital, not having spent too much time in a hospital. Yeah, it's just hospital vibes. Yeah. Uh, the RN was so attractive in the gray light and goop blur, it was almost grotesque. Her tits were such that she had a little cleft of cleavage showing even over her RN's uniform, which was not like a, no, a low neckline thing. The milky cleavage that suggests tits like two smooth scoops of vanilla ice cream that your healthy type <laughs> girls all have probably got. Uh. We're breasting boobly again, folks. (laughs) Gately's forced to confront the fact that he's never once been with a really healthy girl and not with even so much as a girl of any kind of sobriety, uh, of any kind in sobriety. And then when she reaches way up to unscrew a bolt in some kind of steelish plate on the wall over the empty bed, the like hemline of her uniform retreats up north so that the white stockings' rich violinish curves at the top of the insides of her legs in the white lyle... L-L-I-S-L-E, all caps, are visible in backlit silhouette and an embrasure of sad window light shines through her legs. The raw, healthy sexuality of the whole thing just about makes Gately sick with longing and self-pity, and he wants to avert his head. The young MD is also staring at the lysome? 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 Stretch and retreating hem, not even pretending to help with the bolt, missing as he goes to push up the glasses so that he stabs himself in the forehead. The MD and RN exchange several pieces of real technical medical language. The MD drops his clipboard twice. The RN either doesn't notice any of the sexual tension in the room because she spent her whole life as the eye of the storm of sexual tension, or else she just pretends not to notice. Gately's almost positive the MD's jacked off before to the thought of this RN, and he feels sick that he totally empathizes with the MD. It'd be circumambient sexual tension would be the ghost word. Uh, so the all caps italicized words are uh, Circum- wraith, wraith words that are coming into his head. Oh, okay. 
Gatelyde never even let an unhealthy, strung-out type female go into the head for at least an hour after he'd taken a dump in there after embarrassment. And now this sickening, circumambient creature had, with her own fleet syringe and soft hands, summoned a loose, pathetic dump from the anus, anus of Bimmy Gately, which anus she had thus seen up close producing a dump. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't even register... It doesn't even register on Gately that it's spitting a little goopy sleet outside until he's made himself avert his head from the window and RN. The ceiling's throbbing a little like a dog when it's hot. The RN had told him from behind her name was Kathy or Kathy, C or K, but Gately wants to think of her as just the RN. He can smell himself, a smell like sandwich meat left in the sun, and feels <laughs> greasy sweat purling all over his scalp and his unshaved chin against his throat, and the tube taped into his mouth is tacky with the scum of sleep. The thin pillow is hot, and he has no way to flip it over to the cool side of the pillow. <laughs> it's like it's his shoulders grown its own testicles, and every time his heart beats, some very small guy kicked him in them, <laughs> the testicles. The MD sees Gately's open eyes and tells the nurse the gunshot patient is semi-conscious again and is EQ'd for any kind of PM med. The sleet fall is slight. It sounds like somebody's throwing little fistfuls of sand at the window from real far away. The deadly RN, helping the MD clamp some kind of weird steel back bracious thing with what looks like a metal halo they'd put together from parts out of the big case, clamping the thing to the head of the bed and to little steel plates under the bed's heart monitor. It looks like sort of the upper part of an electric chair, he thinks. <laughs> The RN looks down in mid-stretch and says, Hi, Mr. Gately, and says, Mr. Gately is allergic and doesn't get any meds except antipyretics and Toradol in a drip. Dr. Pressburger, do you, Mr. Gately, you poor, brave, allergic thing? <laughs> uh, her voice is like you can just imagine what she'd sound like getting X'd and really liking it. Oh, <laughs> Gately's repelled at himself for having just having taken a dump in front of this kind of RN. The <laughs> MD's name had sounded just like Pressburger or Prisburger, and Gately's now sure the poor yutz had taken daily ass-kickings from sinister future drug addicts as a kid. The MD's perspiring in the ambient sexuality of the RN. He says, the MD does, so what's he intubated for if he's uh, conscious and self-ventilating and on a drip? This is while the MD is trying to screw the metal halo uh, itself to the top of the back bracious thing with bolt head screws, one knee up on the bed and stretching so part of the red soft upper part of his ass is showing over his belt, not being able to get the thing screwed on, shaking the metal halo like it's its stubborn fault, and even lying there, Gately can tell the guy's turning the bolt head screws the wrong way. <laughs> the RN comes over and puts a cool soft hand on Gately's forehead in a way that makes the forehead want to die with shame. What Gately can get from what she says to Dr. Pressburger is that there'd been concern that Gately might have gotten a fragment of whatever projectile he got invaded with in, through, or near his lower something trachea, since there'd been trauma to his something with six syllables that started with sterno. She'd said the radiology results were indefinite but suspicious, and somebody called Pendleton had wanted a 16-millimeter siphuncular nebulizer dispensing 4 milliliters of 20% muco mist, which takes us to end note. 373, a.k.a. acetyl-cysteine-20, Bristol Laboratories, a nebulizable prophylaxis against the post-traumatic buildup of abnormal viscid or inspissated mucus. Back to the text. Q2H uh, on the off chance of hemorrhage or mucoidal flux, like just in case. The parts of this gately can follow he doesn't care for one bit. He doesn't want to know his body even fucking has something with six syllables in it. 
The horrifying RN wipes Gately's face off as best as she can with her hand and says she'll try to fit him in for a sponge bath before she goes off shift at 1600 hours, at which Gately goes rigid with dread. The RN's hands smell of Kiss My Face brand organic hand and body lotion, which Pat Montesian also uses. She tells the poor MD to let her have a try at the cranial brace. Those things are always a bear to screw in. Her nurses, or sorry, her shoes are those sub-audible nurses' shoes that make no sound, so it seems like she glides away from Gately's bed instead of walks <laughs> away. Her legs aren't visible until she gets a certain ways away. The MD's own shoes have a wet squeak to the left one. The MD looks like he hasn't slept well in about a year. There's a faint vibe of prescription drins about the guy on Gately's view. He paces squeakily at the foot of the bed, watching the RN turn the screws the right way and pushes his owlish glasses up and says that Clifford Pendleton, scratch golfer or no, is a post-traumatic maroon that nebulized mucomist is for, and here his voice makes it clear he's reciting from memory, like, to show off, abnormal, viscid, or inspissated post-traumatic mucus, not potential hemorrhaging or edema, and that 16 millimeters siphuncular intubation itself had been specifically discredited discre- Accredited as an intratracheal edema prophylaxis in the second to latest issue of Morbid Trauma Quarterly <laughs> as so diametrically invasive that it was more apt to exacerbate than to alleviate hemo- hemoptis, according to someone he calls layered or layered. Gately's listening in with the uncomprehending close attention of like a child whose parents are discussing something adultly complex about childcare in its presence. The condescension with which Prisberger inserts that hemoptis, uh, he, 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 hemoptysis means something called pertussive hemorrhage, like Kathy the RN wasn't enough of a pro not to have to insert little technical explanations for, makes Gately sad for the guy. It's obvious the guy pathetically thinks this kind of limp condescending shit will impress her. Uh, this, is, this whole segment is uh, making me hate doctors. <laughs> mm. But also, well, it, it's a little bit like inventing a guy to hate, you know. Yeah, it's it is making up a doctor with like the worst, or all of the all of the medical professionals that he has encountered in this segment are like the worst versions. Hey, of Hey, the nur- the nurses are nice. It's the doctors who suck. Yes, yes, yes. He's pro nurse, anti doctor. Pro nurse, anti doctor. The the Pakistani doctor who's trying to push the uh, the uh, meds, the on drugs him. on yeah. him. Yeah. Uh. Gately's got to admit he would have tried to impress her too, though, if she hadn't met him by holding a kidney-shaped pan under his working anus. <laughs> the, <laughs> the RNs finishing packing up the parts of the brace thing the MD couldn't seem to attach, meanwhile. She was saying the MD seemed awful well up on methodology for something called a 2R as they left, and Gately could tell the MD couldn't tell she was being a little sarcastic. The MD was struggling to try to carry the thing's case, which Gately judges weighs at most 30 kilograms. It occurs to him head on for the first time that the real reason Stavros L. hired shelter cleaning guys out of halfway houses was that he could get away with paying them like bupkis and that he, Don G., must surely on some level have known this all along, but been in some kind of denial about confronting it head on that he was getting fucked over by Stavros the shoe freak, and that the word embrasure had surely been another invasive wraith ghost word, and then now also that nobody seems to exactly be falling all over themselves to bring the paper and pen it had sure seemed like Joel Van D. had understood Gately's mimed request for, and that thus maybe Joel's visit and show and tell with the snapshots had been just as much a febrile hallucination as the figurinted wraith. 
and that it has stopped uh, spitting sleet, but the clouds out there still look like they mean serious business out there over Brighton Alston, and that if Joel VD's intimate visit with the photo album was a hallucination, then it at least meant it was also a hallucination that she was wearing fucking college kid Ken Erdetti's sweatpants, and that the low-angled sadness of the cloudy PM light meant it had to be pretty near 1600 EST, so that maybe there by the grace, he could avoid maybe getting an uncontrolled Woody getting sponged naked by the horrifically or horrifyingly attractive K K slash C Kathy, and but still could get sponged by her linebacker of a replacement because the sour, meaty smell of him was grim. <laughs> Only maybe miss the Woody hazard and get sponged by the big hairy mold 1600 uh, H nurse in support hose to who Gately's anus was a stranger. <laughs> Plus, that 1600 HEST was spontaneous dissemination time for Mr. Bouncy Bounce, the mentally ill kitty show host Gately's always loved and used to try his best with Kite and poor old Fackelman to be home and largely alert for, and that nobody's once offered to click on the HD viewer that hangs next to a myopic fake Turner fog and boat print on the wall opposite Gately's and the former kids' beds, and that he uh, had no remote with which to either activate the TP at 1600 or ask. Uh, somebody else to activate it. That without e- some kind of notebook and pencil, he couldn't communicate even the basicest question or like concept to anybody. It was like he was a vegetated hemorrhagic stroke victim. Without a pencil and notebook, he couldn't even seem to get across a request for a notebook and pencil. It was like he was trapped inside his huge chattering head. Unless his head then points out <laughs> Joel Van Dyne's visit had been real and her understanding of the pen and notebook gesture had been real and but somebody out there in the hallway with a hat or at the hospital president's office or at the nurse's station with his inter- interdicted M. Hanley brownies had also interdicted the request for writing supplies at the finest request so he couldn't get his story straight with anybody before they came for him that it was like a pre-interrogation softening up thing they were leaving him trapped in himself a figurant, mute and unmoving and blank, like the house's catatonic lady slumped moist and pale in her chair, or the advanced basics group's adopted girl's vegetable kingdom sister, or the whole catatonic gang over at EMPHH's number five shed, silent and dead-faced even when touching a tree or propped up amid exploding front lawn firecrackers, or the wraith's non-existent kid. It's got to be past 1,600 hours, uh, light-wise, unless it's the lowering clouds, There's roughly 0% or less visibility now outside the sleep-crusted window. The room's window light is uh, darkening to that chaopectate shade that has always marked the just pre-sunset time of day that Gately, like most drug addicts, has always most dreaded and had always either lowered his helmet and charged extra murderous at somebody to block it out, the late-day dread, or else dropped Quovatis or oral narcotics or turned on Mr. Bouncy Bounce extra loud or busied himself in his silly chef's hat in the Ennett House kitchen <laughs> or made sure he was at a meeting sitting way up close in nose-poor range to block it out, the late-day dread. Winter's watered-down light Oh, sorry, uh, the, the, late, the gray light late afternoon dread, always worse in winter, the dread in winter's watered-down light, just like the secret dread he's always felt whenever any, uh, everybody happened to ever leave the room and left him alone in a room, a terrible stomach-sinking dread that probably dates all the way back to being alone in his XXL dentons and crib below Herman, the ceiling that breathed. Uh, poor Gailey. Poor... <laughs> Poor old Gately. <laughs> oh, poor easy breezy. Um, it's you know I I guess I'm I am 
it's obvious, but I'm getting it that we end this book with somebody who, uh, whose mind is racing yet they cannot speak. And we began the book with somebody who is trying to speak, but cannot totally. (laughs) Yes, you're, you're correct, sir. (laughs) Ding, ding. It occurs to Gately that right now is just like when he was a toddler and his mom and her companion were both passed out or worse. No matter how frightened or scared he might become, he now again cannot get anybody to come or to hear or even know about it. The discredited tube to prevent vicious or inspired bleeding in his suspicious trachea has left him completely alone. The discredited tube. (laughs) Worse off than a toddler that could at least bellow and yowl, rattling the bars of its playpen in terror that nobody tall was in any shape to hear him. Plus, this dreadful time of weak, gray, late-day light is the time, was the time, when the sad and nerdily dressed wraith appeared yesterday. Assuming that was yesterday. Assuming it was a real wraith. But the wraith, with its chinky coke, God, and theories of post-mortem speed, had been able to interface with Gately without aid of speech or gesture or bick, was why, even out of his mind, Gately had had to admit to himself it must have been a delusion, a fever dream. But he has to admit he'd kind of liked it. The dialogue, the give and take, the way the wraith could seem to get inside him, the way he said Gately's best thoughts were really communiques from the patient and abiding dead. Gately wonders if his organic father, the iron worker, is not now maybe dead and dropping in and standing very still from time to time for a communique. He felt slightly better. The room ceiling was not breathing. It lay flat as a stucco sheet, rippling only slightly with the petroleum fumes of fever and Gately's own smell. Then bubbling up out of nowhere again, he suddenly confronts deep focus memories of Gene Fackelman's final demise and Gately and Pamela Hoffman Jeep's involvement in Fackelman's demise. Pamela Hoffman Jeep. Gately, for several months before he did his state assault bit, was disastrously involved with one Pamela Hoffman Jeep, his first girl ever with a hyphen. <laughs> a, so- <laughs> a sort of upscale but directionless and not very healthy and pale and incredibly passive Danvers girl that worked in purchasing for a hospital supply co in Swampscott and was pretty definitely an alcoholic and drank bright drinks with umbrellas in Route 1 clubs in the late p.m. until she swooned and passed out with a loud clunk. That's what she called it, swooned. The swooning and passing out with a loud clunk as her head hit the table was more or less a nightly thing and Pamela Hoffman Jeep fell automatically in love with any man she termed chivalrous, which takes us to EndNote 374. Oh, Lord. Oh, no. I'm sorry. I've lost my place. <laughs> you said you didn't need the... I know, but I did. With the hard <laughs> with the hard CH sound distinctive of North Shore Pernun of words like Chicago and Champagne. Oh, Chivalry. chivalrous. Chivalrous. Hey, you're pretty... You're pretty fucking chivalrous. You're, I've, you're a chivalrous gentleman. <laughs> uh, back to the text. Enough to carry her out to the parking lot and drive her home without raping her. <laughs> <laughs> Which rape of an unconscious head lolling girl she termed taking advantage. Gately got introduced to her by Fackelman, who one time as he came up through a sports bar called the Poor House's parking lot. It was that P-O-U-R? You know it. To dialogue with a Sorkin debtor, Gately saw uh, Sorkin debtor. Gately saw Fackelman staggering along, carrying this unconscious girl to his ride. One big hand, quite a bit farther up her prom-looking taffeta gown than it really needed to be to carry her. 
And Falcoman told Gately if Don would give this gash a ride home, Ugh. he'd stay and do the collection, which Gately's heart wasn't in collections anymore, and he jumped at the trade. As long as Falcoman could promise him she could hold her various fluids in the 4x4 she was, he was driving. So it was Fackelman who told him and he, as he put the tiny and limp but still continent body in his arms in the parking lot of the poorhouse to watch his personal six, Gately, and be sure and violate her a little because this gash here was like one of those South Sea culture gashes in that if Gately took her home and she woke up non-violated, she'd be Gately's for life. <sighs> I really do, do not like the word gash. Me neither. But Gately obviously had no intention of raping an unconscious person, much less even putting his hand up the gown of a girl that might lose her fluids any second, and this locked him into the involvement. <laughs> Pamela Hoffman Jeep called Gately her knight errand <laughs> and fell passively in love with his refusal to take advantage. <laughs> Fackelman, she confided, was not the gentleman Gately was. What helped make the involvement disastrous was that Pamela Hoffman Jeep was always either so leglessly drunk or so passively hung over all the time that any sort of sex any time at all with her would have been classified as taking advantage. <laughs> this girl was the single passivist person Gately ever met. He never once saw PHJ actually get from one spot to another under her own power. She needed somebody chivalrous to pick her up and carry her and lay her back down 27, 24, 7, 365, it seemed like. She was... <laughs> she was a sort of sexual papoose. <laughs> she spent most of her life passed out and sleeping. She was a beautiful sleeper, kittenish and serene, never drooling. She made passivity and unconsciousness look kind of beautiful. Fackelman called her death's poster child. Even at work at the hospital supply co, Gately imagined her horizontal, curled fetal on something soft, with all the hot, slack facial intensity of a sleeping baby. He imagined her bosses and co-workers all tiptoeing around purchasing, whispering to each other to not wake her up. She never once rode in the actual front seat of any vehicle he drove her home in, but she also never threw up or pissed herself or even complained, just smiled and yawned an infant's little milky yawn and snuggled deeper into whatever Gately had swaddled her in. Gately started doing that thing about yelling they'd been robbed uh, when he carried her into whatever stripped luxury apartment they were crewing in. PHJ wasn't what you'd call great looking, but she was incredibly sexy, Gately felt, because she always managed to look like you'd just exed her into a state of total unmuscled swoon, lying there unconscious. That's what every man wants, right? <laughs> An unconscious girl. Trent uh, Kite. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, yes. S unconscious GF. Unco na nap, nap GF. Nap GF. That's me. But, but, uh, but always. Always. Facts observed that Kite himself was not exactly a W.T. Sherman with the ladies. I don't know that reference. Do William Tecumseh Sherman? A, a general? A, I don't mm. know. Uh, even with co-cores and strung out nursing students and dipsoid lounge hags. <laughs> <laughs> whose fa painted faces swung loose from their heads. Fa <laughs> Falcomans claimed to have started a log just to keep track of Kite's attempted pickup lines. Surefire lines like, e.g., you're the second most beautiful woman I've ever seen. The first most beautiful woman I've ever seen being former British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> and if you came home with me, I'm unusually confident that I can achieve an erection. And said that if Kite wasn't still cherry at 23 and a half, it was proof of some kind of divine type grace. 
sometimes Gately would come out of a Demerol nod and look at pale, passive Pamela lying there, sleeping beautifully, and undergo a time-lapse, clairvoyant thing, where he could almost visibly watch her losing her looks through her 20s and her <laughs> face starting to slide over off her skull onto the pillow she held like a stuffed toy, becoming a lounge hag right before his eyes. She's the melting smiley face. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, uh, emoji. emoji. Yeah. The vision aroused more compassion than horror, which Gately never even considered might qualify him as a decent person. Gately's two favorite things about Pamela Hoffman Jeep were the way she would come out of her stupor and hold her cheek and laugh hysterically each time Gately carried her across the threshold of some stripped apartment and bellow that they'd been ripped off, and the way she always wore the long white linen gloves and bare shoulder taffeta that made her seem like some upscale North Shore debutante who'd had like one too many dippers of country club punch and is just <laughs> begging to be taken advantage of by some low-rent guy with a tattoo. She'd make a, a sort of languid, very slow-motion bullwhip gesture with her hand in the long white glove as she lay wherever Gately had deposited her and simper out with an upscale inflection. Dawn, honey, bring mommy a highball. <laughs> she called a drink a highball, which uh, it turned out was a deadly impression of her own mom, who it turned out this lady made Gately's own mom look like Carrie Nation by comparison, lush-wise. The only four times Gately ever met Mrs. H.J. were all at ERs and sanitaria. Wow. What are we on? Um, we're at about 28 minutes, but it looks like the uh, we've got a two-page long paragraph here. I can do one more big paragraph. Okay. Maybe. Where, where, where's the next full break? Oh, full break? Not for a while. Not for a while. Okay. We're, well, we're just in keep the... going for another. Uh, yeah, do another big paragraph. Gately lies there, pop-eyed with guilt and anxiety, in the hiss and click of resumed sleet in the twilight St. E's room, next to the glittering back brace and skull halo thing clamped exoskeletally to the empty next bed, and gleaming dully at selected welds. Gately trying to abide, remembering. It had been Pamela Hoffman Jeep that finally clued Gately in on the little ways Gene Fackelman had been historically getting over on Whitey Sorkin and alerted him to the suicidal creek Fackelman had got himself into with a certain mistaken bet scam that had blown up right in his map. Even Gately had been able to tell something was the matter. For the last two weeks, Fackelman had been squatting sweatily in a corner of the stripped living room, right outside the little luxury bedroom Gately and Pamela were lying in, out there squatting over his sterno cooker and incredible twin hills of sky-blue Dilaudid and many-hued M&Ms, not much speaking or responding or moving or even seeming to cop a nod, just sitting there hunched and plump and glistening like some sort of cornered toad, his mustache flailing around on his lip. Things would have to be bad indeed, uh, have to have have had to be bad indeed for Gately ever to try to get coherent data out of PHJ. Apparently the deal was that one of the betters that bet with Sorkin through Fackelman was a guy Gately and Fackelman knew only as 80s Bill. <laughs> <laughs> An impeccably groomed guy that wore red suspenders under snazzy Zegna brand menswear and tortoiseshell specs and docksiders, an old-fashioned corporate takeoverer and asset plunderer, maybe 50, with an exchange place office and a souvenir free Milken bumper sticker on his Beamer. It was a night of many highballs and much papoosing, and Gately had to keep flicking the top of PHJ's skull to keep her conscious long enough to free associate her way through the details. Who was on his fourth marriage to his third aerobic instructor, and who liked to bet on only Ivy League college hoops, but who, when he did so, bet 
bet amounts so huge that Falcomen always had to get Sorkin's pre-approval on the bet and then call 80's bill back and so on. Should I try to do one, see what is happening or should we end? What what happens with 80's bill? Uh, yeah, keep keep going a little a little further. 80's, 80's I love this cliche. Ex- exorbitant bets on Ivy League basketball. Yeah. The hell, I know. <laughs> and Ridiculous. he's he's a uh, like a Futurama '80s guy. Yeah, the suspenders, the suspenders, the aerobics instructor, the beamer. Yeah, that that coding has now gone to yoga instructor for yes. you know mis mis I think it's time for aerobics to come back. You're telling people, me people should start taking aerobics. Zumba classes. is fucking fun. I'll be the first to say it. <laughs> I love Zumba. I went on vacation with my family once and it was the kind of place that had like daily activities and, and there was Zumba class. that was like you just on the side of the pool like in front of everyone. And I'm like, I love this. <laughs> <laughs> it really stroked my need for attention. Uh, but so according to Pamela Hoffman Jeep, this 80s Bill, who is a Yale alum and unusually, usually unabashedly sentimental about what uh, <laughs> Pamela H.J. laughingly says Fackelman called his almometer. <laughs> well, on this particular time, it seemed a little impeccably groomed birdie had whispered in 80s Bill's hairy ear because this one time 80s Bill wants to put $125,000 down on Brown U against Yale U, i.e. betting against his almometer. <laughs> Only he wants negative two points instead of the even spread Sorkin and the rest of the Boston books are taking off the Atlantic City line for a spread. And Falcoman has to cell phone down to Saugus to bounce this off Sorkin, except Sorkin's down in the city in Enfield at the National Craniofacial Pain Foundation office getting his weekly UV bombardment and Caffergot refill from Dr. Robert, 60s Bob Monroe. Dr. S- Robert. The septu- a, uh, <laughs> Beatles reference, right? Yeah. Well, you'll see. The septuagenarian pink sunglasses and Nehru jacket wearing NCPFP ergotic vascular headache treatment specialized. A guy who in your days interned at Sandoz and was one of T. Leary's original circle of mayonnaise jar acid droppers at <laughs> T. Leary's now legendary house in West Newton, Massachusetts, and is now 60s B, an intimate acquaintance of Kite because 60s Bob is an even bigger Grateful Dead fanatic, maybe even than Kite, and sometimes got together with Kite and several other dead devotees, most of whom now had canes and O2 tanks, and traded historical souvenir-type tiger's eyes and paisley doublets and tie-dyes and lava lamps and bandanas and plasma spheres and variegated blacklight posters of involuted geometric designs, and argued about which dead shows and bootlegs of dead shows were the greatest of all time in different regards, and basically just had a hell of a time. 60s B, an inveterate collector and haggling trader of shit, sometimes uh, took Kite along on little expeditions of eclectic and seedy shops for dead-related paraphernalia, sometimes even informally fencing stuff for Kite, and so indirectly gately, covering Kite with uh, money when Kite's rigid needs schedule didn't permit a more formal and time-consuming fence, 60s Bob then trading the merchandise around various seedy locales for 60s-related shit nobody else would even usually want. A couple of times, Gately had to actually finger an ice cube out of a highball and slip it under the shoulderless neckline of PHJ's prom gown to try to keep her on some kind of track. 
Like most incredibly passive people, the girl had a terrible time ever separating details from what was really important in the story is why she rarely ever got asked anything. <laughs> but so to the point, uh, the point is that the person that took Fackelman's cell about 80s Bill's mammoth Yale Brown bet wasn't in fact Sorkin, but rather Sorkin's secretary, one Gwendine O'Shea, the howitzer-breasted old green card... <laughs> Green-carded former IRA mall who'd gotten hit on the head with a truncheon by a godless Belfast Bobby one to, uh, once too often back on the old sod and whose skull now was, in Fackelman's own terminology, soft as puppy shit in the rain but who has just the seedy sort of distracted grandmotherly air that makes her perfect for clapping her red-knuckled old hands to her cheeks and squealing as she claimed mass lottery lottery winnings whenever Whitey Sorkin and his M.A. Statehouse bagman cronies arranged to have a Sorkinite buy a mysteriously winning mass lottery ticket from one of the countless convenience stores Sorkin and cronies own through dummy corporations all up and down the North Shore and who, because she could not only give what Sorkin claimed was the only ad adequate cervical massage west of the burn hot alp spring <laughs> center but <laughs> oh so, cervical yes but also could both word process a shocking 110 words per minute and wield a sh- shillalag a shillelagh 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 sorry that's a horrible shillelagh sorry that's how it's spelled i, I don't know. know my own history a shillelagh like nobody's business plus had been w sorkin's dear <laughs> late ira mall mum's scrabble pal back in belfast on the old sod <laughs> served as whitey's chief administrative aide manning the cellular phones when sorkin was out or indisposed we let's t- stop there we appear to be caught in pamela hoffman jeep's infinite yarn uh <laughs> unable to find out exactly what is happening but uh, we're but certainly eventually learning Fackelman is going to get killed for this yes, right for whatever he does which and i assume potentially is 80s bill as well well so here's the thing 60s bob is definitely someone who had um the dmz right yes like possibly i mean P- Pemulus got it from the antitois brothers but the antitois brothers definitely got it from 60s bob right sure 80s bill 60s bob 80s Bill, 60s Bob. Anyway, that's got to that's got to come from him, possibly synthesizing it directly if he's a, a, a psychedelic chemist. Uh, what is a shillelagh? I I have to note that it's a, it's a like a club. Do people use it to play like a um, walking stick club? Okay, it's a walking stick. I thought they might uh play hurling. You know. Oh yeah. Uh, I have to note that having watched so many tennis clips while we do this, I have noticed that Rafael Nadal has a nervous tick. Speak on uh, it. That he always, before he serves, uh, clears his face of sweat in the exact same five-point way where he <laughs> touches the bridge of his nose, the side, both sides of his head, wipes the, his brow in like a very specific a modified um, yeah, like, sign of the cross. Yeah, kind of a sign of the cross type. A sweat wicking. Um, and if you watch any Nadal you, uh, match, you will, you will see him do this. Yeah, it is, it is very like sign of the cross type thing of like clearing his face of sweat. I'm, uh, I'm sure, you know, people bounce balls the same amount of oh, time. Yeah, all the uh, honestly, there's a lot of ritual in these tennis matches. You uh, know, what we have to talk about hmm. the video of the guys smashing three tennis rackets. Oh, yes, we do need to talk Did about that. Did anyone see that? Uh, <laughs> anybody? Anybody? Y- y- anybody? Y- 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 y'all see this? You see those? Y'all seen the shit? 
you watch it with the the commentary, right? I did. The, the, the a British woman being like, "We're fu- it seems we're seeing a bit of his mindset right now." <laughs> yes. So we it's see- like this guy, like, botches a, a volley or something, a, a tennis player, and just smashes one of his rackets and then goes over to his bench and picks up another brand new racket and smashes that and then picks up a third brand new racket and smashes that and it's like the prim british uh commentator uh, say is saying mm, good thing he has met good thing he has sev- many rackets yes and then but she said that after done, the first one and yes. then he did two more and i was like oh my god i think he only has one left and then after he's uh, done, the same commenter being being like, mm, "I think we're seeing a bit of his, we're seeing a bit of his mindset at this point." <laughs> <laughs> um, Whoa, cool camera angle! I know the ball coming straight at your face. Uh, Pamela Hoffman Jeep. Pamela Hoffman Jeep. Um, this like faded, you know, yeah. debut debutante. Uh, uh, country club. It's, uh, that's, that's a familiar type. I think we've all encountered Pamela Hoffman Jeeps in our life. I'm not sure if I've ever met like country club type people. N- well, not the country club aspect, but the, uh, the debutante, the um, the the papoost. Uh, oh, a woman, a woman who simply won't uh, take uh, any kind of physical responsibility <laughs> yes, for herself. Just gets carried. Yeah, to I've met a few. Places. Yeah. Uh, uh, l- listen, I. Uh, uh, I'm I'm no uh, I'm a champion drinker who can say, but I usually leave on my own power. Yes, I don't think I've ever not not left on my own steam. No, I I can't remember any time that you that I've I've you've to never had to locomote you uh, lo- carry me across the threshold. Uh, I, I love a uh, kite just or Fackelman being like rape her little rape her little or she's gonna fall in love with you, man. <laughs> I'm like that's crazy. Um, Don. Don Gately don't uh, can't get no respect. He's he can't he can't see anything. No, he can't see his He's stuck in his own mind. Yes, he's stuck in his own mind. For what feels like months now, but I guess that's just how long we've been reading this part. It is it's kind of the ultimate, you know, I feel like he you know, he has this drug addiction and then he gets clean and then um you know, you finally have to like listen to your thoughts and mm-hmm. remember stuff that you and remember it and with a clear head. And this is like the ultimate version of that where it's gone so see, far look, beyond. Look, oh, did you see him? Oh, uh, yeah, I did. Yes. Uh, that now he's it's almost like he's on drugs again, but he's like hallucinating. Well, stuff. it is like. I honestly I, I get it as like the, the ultimate temptation is being like totally immobilized, unable to speak, unable to the the ultimate indignity of not even being able to turn on the TV. Yes. To watch. What is it? Mr. Bouncy Bounce? Mr. Bouncy Bounce. <laughs> which I can just tell that I would I would like Mr. Bouncy. I am imagining Bounce. it as a kind of what it, who is that clown? The clown? Yeah, there's a Saturday morning uh clown show. Are you talking about um Bozo. Big, big fun, no, oh, I'm thinking Big Comfy Couch. No, Bozo. You ever watch Big Comfy Couch? Maybe. It's a girl and her doll. And the, doll, ca- the doll's I, named Molly. On a big couch? No, yeah. I'm thinking of the Bozo the Clown show, which was broadcast out of WGN Chicago, mm. I believe. Uh, that so, uh, actor just bought the rights to. Right? Bozo, Bozo the, the Clown. Clown. Yes. It's, it's a contested Michael right. Keaton? Who did it? Michael Keaton? I don't know. Nicolas Cage? I don't know. Whatever. Who cares? Uh, yes. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. A morning show with a, a weird guy who talks in a funny voice, I yes. assume, and playing demented music. Demented music. Hurdy gurdy music. Music. This, the, all of this stuff that's happening to Don reminds me of. There's a quote which I think came from either an interview, a separate interview, or the end of the tour uh, with David Foster Wallace talking about like just all the different ways there are to kind of like numb numb yourself, mm-hmm. like you know th- throwing yourself into. Drinking your drugs or TV or like uh, weird dissociated sexual experiences uh, and that, you know, the, the the distractions then hide how you're actually feeling. And it isn't until you really start like doing things that are mindful that you then yes even understand who you are. So like this is Don's like kind of trial by fire. Yes, that. it's a, like a forced meditative state. Yeah. Can't even watch TV. Which is why TV. he's on these uh, reveries of, of memory. Yeah. And seeing ghosts and shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yes. Uh, he does also. I'm sorry if there are any Grateful Dead fans um, listening. I'm a. I. I'm on the record as a Grateful Dead respecter. Uh, I have never been able I respect to respect it, but it's not my thing. It's not my thing. Um, but the type of Grateful Dead fan where like you get your jollies by arguing about which, which live recording yes. is the best. They're all good. That. that yeah. That's, it's fine. That's basically my attitude about music is like you you see this, you know, I've gotten more into electronic music and you see this too that like people you'd be like, "Oh, Tiesto's, you know, 2012 uh Hard Summer set is good, but his Tomorrowland is 2016 epic. Tomorrowland." And I'm just is like, epic, yeah, yeah. I should, you know. It's a, it's like a Bob Odenkirk in the um Mr. Show lie detector test. <laughs> It's crack. It's great. It gets, it gets you really high. high. I'm like, it's music. It's great. You listen to it, it and good. it sounds good. Uh, that is the thing is that like, you know, I, I guess, I guess this is the wisdom of age is like as, uh, as time goes on, basically comparing any kind of music to any other kind of music seems more and more futile, you know, of, yeah. the, of just being like, what band is better than any other band? Who can say? They're all basically good. Who can say? <laughs> if I've heard of your band, it is probably... It, 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 the, the music is of equal levels of worthiness. Yes. Yeah. It all has... I mean, yeah, that, that's the thing is... Uh, I think all music is uh, good and then just, you know, some of the music is good, gooder to me than others. Yeah. And that's okay. And that's okay. And I'm that's more interested fun. in the narrative than the sound sometimes. Yes. Well, we have a podcast about words about music. Um, oh, I have one other thing I wanted to bring up. Yes. It, maybe it'll be a little bit more relevant as the ending progresses, but the difference between like drug addiction and alcohol addiction in this portrayed is like you see yet another drunk who mm-hmm. like it, 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 I don't know. There's something about David Foster Wallace's attitude toward it where like the drug extremes are you either die or um, you like recover and like look come at, in. At- like you have these extremes like uh, uh, Joel Van Dyne with smoking crack, him with the opiates, all that stuff. He definitely seem, seems to think that drug addiction is more interesting than alcohol. And maybe more like redeemable versus yeah. like alcohol because of its availability, availability and kind of insidiousness. You can live your entire life. You, you live a longer life without maybe even realizing that you have a problem. Yeah. There's, it's a, there's also like a kind of pedestrian portrayal yeah. of alcoholism. Hey, you can go to any bar on route one and get yeah. a fruity, uh, you know, pina colada With and then have 17 of them <laughs> umbrella in it. Yeah. I don't know. Just t- something to point out yeah. that the extremes of the drug addiction seem to offer him more e- either le- would, lessons of like death or opportunities for, 
I would like redemption. to know what his thoughts on drug policy should be. Like, what is the is is he a um uh harm reduction a guy? Harm reduction or like legal like everything should basically be legal, but there should be like you know uh, very available recovery program programs. I don't know. I wonder because yeah, he was coming of the you know the nineties mm-hmm. was very say no to drugs. Uh, we had obviously just this flooded. Your, this uh, is your brain on blank. This is, yeah, this is your brain on blank. We had you know flooded uh, poor communities uh, with crack, and then said, "Wait, don't do that. <laughs> Stop it." Uh, I I would dare dare dare. I was in a group in middle school in the. <laughs> They've got the uh the, the Andre Agassi wigs. Yes, sorry, and like a cow print uh Nike windbreaker uh. Headband? That's interesting. Cow print is kind of cool, if you think about it. Especially yes. how much we use cows in the hamburger format. Mm. We should respect them more. I could go for a hamburger. I could basically always go for a hamburger, but a small one. Slider. Yeah. I could eat a slider at basically any time. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I, could, I can eat a hot dog whenever I want. There, there should be a um, fast food a store that's just sli- sliders anytime, and it's yes. open at 8 a.m. You're talking and it about White Castle? Yeah, but different kinds of sliders, Chris. Not just hamburger, chicken, <laughs> they, I portobello White, mushroom. I believe White Castle has those things. Oh, damn. Should we go to White Castle today? Never. I, I was going to say think, never been. Not true. I think the Brooklyn White Castle has stopped existing. The way, there used to be a White Castle in Williamsburg. We, didn't we, isn't there one in Crown Heights that is actually like the White Castle? Like it looks like a White Maybe. Castle. I'm sorry. I didn't have White Castle in Vermont as a kid. I got none of the good fast foods. Or bad fast foods. Just Burger King and McDonald's. Burger King, McDonald's, maybe a Wendy's. No Duncan. Hardee's. No. Uh, no Sonic, no Red Robin, no uh, Carl's Jr., no Hardee's, no Arby's. No Arby's? I don't think we had an Arby's. We had like one Taco Bell. I didn't go to Taco Well, I went to Taco Bell once because I wanted a, the mask toy from it. What was the toy? I heard something from the movie The Mask. Was it a little figurine of the mask? Yeah, and he like maybe spun around or something. Cool. I didn't realize Taco Bell did toys. Uh, anyway, a brief, <laughs> a brief period in the nineties, they did. They were trying. They're like, ah, yeah. they. I mean, the toys are fucking sick. I was a a teeny beanie girl. Sure. That was it. Remember the craze? Oh yeah. They had the beanie babies, and then they had the teeny beanies. The teeny beanies. And I was like, damn, let me get one of those. And of course, the quality was awful. Yes. Because they had to make it was made of like garbanzo beans <laughs> in a little sack. Anyway, teeny beanies. I got nothing else to say. Yeah, the just I mean, is not we, infinite for me today. Yeah, I, well, it's. Uh, I mean, I feel like we've just been. You know, I I I, I gather that this is how this book is going to end. Just like dwelling on on Don and recovery. It's the well, way of water, like, you know. It, we've got like, oh god, I would like to see that movie again. We've got like what sixty more pages or something like that. Yeah, it's we're we're really in the like in the red zone here. Yeah, uh, I do think that we have to go back when we finish it. I think that the end is not the end. I think we have to read the first chapter again. Yeah, totally. When, when we are uh, when we finish it, and yeah. I think that will be the end. We go back. We finish the book and then read the first chapter again, and then yeah. that's the end. Yeah, and we got to figure out what, we, what we're going to do next. Yeah. Uh, well, probably not Ulysses because I can't be trusted to pronounce actual Irish words. What did you call it? The sh- shillalag. The shillalag. That's how it's spelled. It is. It is a wild spelling. Yeah. 
for shillelagh. Learning uh learning Irish uh like Gaelic would be a a crazy, you know. Yeah. If I uh, if I find myself with a uh, with some time on my hands, maybe I'll do it. Uh but <laughs> It would basically only be useful on that island where they filmed the Banshees of Inisherin. Yeah. Inishmore. They actually speak Irish there. Yes. Anyway. Uh, to hell or Connaught. Uh, Connaught, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, is the the rocky uh, western shore of uh, Ireland where is Banshees is. And that's what... Um, that's what Cromwell said to the Irish uh, is either you can go to hell and I will murder you or you can go to Connaught and ex- exiled them to to basically where Banshees is from. Damn. To hell or Connaught. Tough choice. Uh, all right. Gird, gird your shillelaghs, everyone. Uh, we'll get back to you next week with more. Infinite, Infinite cast. cast. Bye. Bye.